0: Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports, taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who
1: play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another edition, another version of Bill Roden on Sports here in sunny Houston, Texas at the Final Four uh, with uh, the wonderful Jamal Murphy, co-host. Jamal, was up.
0: Good to be here yeah. here in Houston, like you said, much better than being in New York right oh, now. Oh
1: man, they said snowing. <laughs> it's snowing. It's snowing, snowing, uh, and uh, you know you you bump into a lot of really great people when you're here at these Final Fours, uh, But our guest this afternoon is somebody who I actually met professionally. Uh, 1989 right 1989 uh, I was I was a uh, of course columns at the times and uh, the great Steve Bardo Steve Bardo was then a uh, a senior right senior junior Junior at the University of Illinois part of one of the greatest basketball teams college basketball teams I've covered I mean UNLV that was the 1990. but that team with you guys are called the flying Illini the flying Illini yep a great team, and I, that was actually a really a great team. You and uh was it um, Liberty? Yeah, Marcus Liberty was a freshman. Uh, and, and yep. Nick Anderson on the team. Nick right? Anderson, Nick Anderson, Kendall Gill, Kendall Gill, those other guys. Kendall, wow. oh man, Lowell Hamilton. how you yeah. guys not in the ring, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> let's let's segue into that. Yeah, yeah right. No, no, right. No, <laughs> no, but anyway, listen, my guest is great, Steve Barto. Uh, Steve now is um is he, uh, a wonderful uh commentator, color commentator. And play-by-play play, uh, for the Big Ten Network.
2: Big Ten Network and Fox. And Fox, yep. yeah,
1: yeah. Don't be shy.
2: <laughs> and, uh,
1: no, but really, has had a great, great career, uh, great career in broadcasting. Uh, and actually, one of the things I want to ask you, Matt. Um, well, first of all, you, you, you've been here before. You've been here as a player. Yes. So you know what it's like. You know, Final Four. You get the Final Four. What was What was your Final Four? This was again 1989. Correct. What, what was your final four? And it was was it Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, that's, right. that's with the uh, Michigan. Yes. Seton Hall. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah.
2: Duke, Duke was the other one in that
1: one. Yeah, yes. that and that's before Coach K blew up, right? Uh, that's he, for that's for he won his first one. Exactly. Yep, right. They were right still before. thinking of firing his ass <laughs> back there. But anyway, but what was it like? What was just, just tell take me through for people what what's Final Four weekend like?
2: Well, for me personally, I, I watched every Final Four growing up from the age of five or six to the one that I got in. Wow. And, uh, you know, when I go and speak to young people all the time, that's one of the things I share with them is that um, we were in the Kingdome and the announcer says the number one seed from the Midwest region, the University of Illinois, yeah. fighting the line. I never heard a roar like that. Uh. And so I couldn't move. I couldn't run because I was thinking about Daryl Griffith, Louisville, mm. Jack Goose Givens, Kentucky, uh, all those Final Fours that I watched. It kind of w- went through, and I, I, it might have been a couple seconds, and the Kendall smacked me in the head and we ran out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was a dream come true, man. And you play as a kid, you, you're you trying to hit a shot to get to the Final Four. And so it was really a dream come true.
1: What, what's it like now? You play in the Kingdom. Yep. What's what's it like playing in those arenas? I mean, now this, we're playing in this
2: football stadium, which is massive. Yes. But but did that take any type of adjustment? Because No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You, you're Even when we were at the playground growing up, there was some kind of backdrop that wasn't as far as it is playing at basketball in a football stadium. And so the depth perception uh, tends to get adjusted. Now, I don't know what Villanova did against Oklahoma because they <laughs> shot 71%. Uh-huh. Their adjustment uh, thing could be packaged and sold because uh, – they defied something that a lot of teams have trouble with, is shooting in a dome. Hmm. So it's, there's definitely an, uh, an adjustment period. Uh, coaches who can get as much time on the court and just get up as many shots as you can to try to get a feel for the place. And, uh, you know, every every team does it differently, but it's definitely a factor.
1: How, how, how nervous were you? I mean, in other words, so so I guess the first thing, you know, you get there, yep. everything, but I guess the first thing is like the practice session, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you go there and there's like, what, twenty thousand people at the Yeah, practice? about
2: thirty thousand. Yep. Just sitting there practicing. You know, it, it's cool because you have another practice that's closed where they don't you know, people uh-huh. don't get a chance to see. So this is more for the fans and you're going through basic fundamental stuff, getting jumpers up, nothing. But it's good to be acclimated and, and to give something back to the fans. So, you know, it, it's uh it's it's all a wonderful experience. I just would have changed one thing. What's that? You were... our focus was that we were happy to be at the final four. We weren't mm-hmm. talking about a national championship. Uh-huh. And so we were just happy to get to the Final Four, and I think just that slight mental adjustment may have gotten us over the top. And
0: you played Michigan, right, yes. in that Final Four game. Yep. So you feel like their mentality was different?
2: I think they were playing with house money. Uh, you know, Bill Frieder had gotten fired right at the end of the regular season. And Steve Fisher came in, Bo Schembechler said, I'm, we're having a Michigan man coach this right. team. That's right. Bill, Bill Frieder right. made an agreement with Arizona State That's right. and Bo Schenbecker found out about it told him to beat it Steve Fisher comes right. in and now Ramil Robinson is passing the ball to Glenn Rice Terry Mills Lloyd Vaught is setting picks for Glenn Rice before all those cats were trying to get their own shot <laughs> And so we beat them by double figures twice in the regular season They came back and they went got the ball to Glenn Rice and the rest is history. I will say this though I did the best defensive job on Glenn Rice that whole tournament. Exactly. He only hit me for 29. Wow. <laughs> 29. That was his but, lowest point output in, the, in that in, run. In the tournament. What,
1: but what about during the regular season?
2: Oh, we handled him in the regular season. We beat him by double digits, both matchups, and, uh, you know, we just out more athletic, but 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 now you were the defensive player of
1: the year yes. in the Big Ten, right? Yes. So it's not like you just happened to do a good job. Or, I mean, that was that's what you were doing that to a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> right? I was. But I, you know, 29 points getting lit up. That I got lit up, but he had 46. He had 38. He still holds the record for most points in an NCAA tournament run.
1: Why was he so? Because I remember as as a as a, as a uh, an NBA player, and, and this happens to a lot of people mm-hmm. that that they're great college players in the NBA. A, but he, he was pretty good. Man. He, was, he was an all-star. Was? Oh, okay. I'm
3: sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: He had a good career. Now. <laughs> Don't. He's a he's a 12-15. We, we going to get Glenn you're thinking, on the show. You're thinking about the Knicks
2: days. That's like, <laughs> uh,
0: Maybe.
1: Well, every, his career. That's like a black hole, man. Anybody comes to the Knicks, it's just, but yeah. Um, but so so you lost to Michigan that game. So what? Um, do you keep in touch with all those guys? Oh uh, yeah.
2: You talking about my teammates? Oh, your teammates. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Nick, all those guys. Nick yeah. Anderson. Uh, yeah. We had a. It's funny you ask, yesterday uh, I sent out a text with all the fellas that this is the anniversary back in 1999, that Kendall Gill had 15 points, 10 rebounds and an NBA record, 11 steals for a triple double. Wow. And so I, t- I text back out and all the guys were hitting and you know we were talking about, yeah, cause he had big big hands, long arms, <laughs> and, you know, we're just going off on each other. So <laughs> it's always fun, man. So yeah, I came uh, in touch with him.
1: What's, what's, what's everybody doing? Everybody doing well? Now, who was the coach at the time.
2: Lou Henson was the coach oh, yeah. and he's been ha- he's had some health issues and everything but he's still moving on strong Good. so he's doing well. Uh Nick Anderson is account executive for the Orlando Magic. Oh wow. Okay. So he's with which was his team? Which was his team? Yeah. He was the first ever draft pick of Orlando, yes, Orlando Magic so he's back with them. He missed him. Jamal
1: would you do? Oh, yeah, you missed the two free throws. <laughs> on, four free throws. Four free throws. Throw me under the bus, man. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Oh, I,
0: I, come <laughs> on, man. It's, I guess the Houston it's Bill Roden
1: on sports. It's Jamal Murphy on sports, and you too. No, but that's right. I mean, it's, it's, isn't it funny? I mean, we keep going down a little who's doing what. Sure. What people remember about career. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the great stuff Nick Anderson has done. Yep. I mean, his professional career as a basketball player, now in the county. Cap- Somebody oh yeah didn't he miss four free throws? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was a joy. It was, it was a Bulls, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, no, it was uh, Orlando versus Houston in the finals. Right. Yep. All right. And Oh, you a, remember it too? Oh, oh very <laughs> well. Yeah, because I was I heard for him. Oh, you know, because I I that's my that's my brother. So yeah. You know, uh, but he's done a good job of overcoming that man, and he really wants mm-hmm. to get into coaching. So oh really? Yeah. I hope he I hope he can.
1: Well, let's let's hold that point because okay. I want to get back there because that is a. Sticky point. Sure, but but listen, who else? So so Nick is Nick is in Orlando.
2: Nick's in Orlando. Kendall Gill's in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing TV, right? Yeah, doing TV with the Bulls. He does mm-hmm. pre and post for the Bulls, and he's doing very well. Irvin Small is in Atlanta, and he's with the Isuzu Car Corporation. They're doing very well. Marcus Liberty was uh, in his division high school uh, coach of the year in oh, wow. uh, Florida. So he's coaching. Yeah, he's oh, coaching at a here. private uh, private Christian school in in uh, Tampa. Uh, St. P- no Sarasota, Florida, which Dick Vitale helped him get the job. Okay. So it was a great look there. Kenny Bell is the one that he's not doing quite as well as we'd like to to hear, but you know he's hanging in there. He's he's back in Aurora where he grew up. Uh, so you know hopefully he'll get back on his feet and do his thing. But everybody's doing pretty well.
1: And what about you, man? I mean, let's let's you've had a fascinating career, man. You had an extraordinary career. In almost some ways it's kind of like the model student athlete mm-hmm. career. You know, what I mean in terms of Using basketball as what it's supposed to be used for, sure, As a springboard and all these great things. But, but even t- talk about basketball, I man, this just take us through your career after. Now you were a junior in eighty, in eighty nine. went to the, correct. So, so now did you not, did you leave early? No, no, no. You, no. you, you I, finished.
2: Yeah. So I came back the next year, and uh, it was a NCAA infraction ridden season. Very difficult. Uh, Kendall Gill and I were investigated, uh, cleared of it, but it was very, it was a very difficult time because Deion Thomas had to sit out because of the allegations from then assistant coach uh, Bruce Pearl
0: oh. that made the
2: allegations of you know that Deion got paid ninety thousand dollars to go to Illinois, so he sat out his first year, uh, and so I've been been able to thousand, yeah, dollars yeah, back then.
1: That's then. That's nineteen eighty nine.
2: Yeah, but yeah. there were some suitcases moving in the Big Ten then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll leave uh, well, it cause, Yeah,
1: well, because remember, we have yet to come to Fab Five.
3: Uh, right? <laughs> that,
1: that was That was like, and that was- Big the, suitcases. Big yeah. suitcase. That yeah. was like beyond suitcases. Right. But it's, anyway, but that's, there's a lot of suitcases. But, but so what happened? So, so, so they, yeah,
2: then I I, I leave, I graduate from the University of Illinois, I get drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, and go to camp with them, get cut. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the first of sixteen times I was cut, waived, release. What
1: was that like? I mean, here you are, you had this successful career. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you, this is kind of like a, a common story. In, in a way, that it is a great career, yep. high school, everything is yes. Yep. Now overcome some stuff, Illinois, on mm-hmm. the upward art. Yep. Final four, blah blah. blah. Now you get to the NBA. Yep. So so what was it like, draft day, and then? you know, after and training camp?
2: Oh, I got a hilarious draft day story. So uh, my sister at the time was living in Tampa. Mm-hmm. So my brother, sister, mother, and father and friends were all down in Tampa. And uh, I got so nervous that me and my brother-in-law started drinking early. <laughs> and so I, we got to the point where we were drinking so much that <laughs> I could barely keep my eyes open when the draft started. Although the last pick I saw was Kendall Gill, oh, wow. the number five pick to the Charlotte Hornets, and I passed out. (laughs) And so the next thing I know, my brother and my best friend are trying to put me in the shower to wake me up because the Atlanta Hawks had just drafted me in the second round. Oh, wow. And so they knew they were going to call, so they had to sober me up. (laughs) And so they got me sobered up in time, and then the phone call came, and I acted like I was coherent, but I was not. (laughs) Now, who who called you? It was Babcock, Pete Babcock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and so he was – he called and said, hey, you know, we loved it. You know, love what we drafted you. We're going to bring you into camp. And I was trying not to have my th- tongue sound too thick right, and right, uh, right. try to be say as little as possible, and uh, right. it all worked out.
1: All right, all right. So so now what was that like? So you go to camp and, mm-hmm. and, and uh – what you know? That's your, this is your first taste of the NBA life. Yeah, I, I, I guess right. Yeah.
2: So what was what was what was that experience like? Camp was great because Atlanta had a ton of veterans: uh, Dominique Wilkins, mm. Doc Rivers, mm. John Battle, wow. Kenny Smith, wow. Cliff Lemmingston. I mean, we had a, a we had a team full of vets, and you know, me being inquisitive, I'm always like, I'm trying to find the old head in the room because I'm trying to follow him. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. Right. And so uh, I, w- I got really close to Dominique and Kenny Smith. Okay. And, uh, you know, they kind of took me under their wing. And so I didn't make that t- make the team that year, but it was great because I knew that I could play at that level. Uh, and so then it was a series of going back and forth between the CBA, mm-hmm. getting a couple coffee breaks in the NBA, and then getting cut again.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it- it- finally I was like, okay, well, I need to – Figure out if I can make some money doing this, so I get started going overseas, ah. then. and so that started the odyssey of Italy, Spain, France, Germany, Venezuela, Japan. What and was that?
1: What, what was that like? Well, first of all, the experience of getting cut. Do you ever get
2: used to getting cut? I mean, if- no, no, because you know there were two days that one the the infamous D Day in the NBA for free agents like me is January 10th you make it past January 10th, your contract is guaranteed for the season. I got cut twice on January 9th. Wow. And had a wife and a kid at the time and having to move, and Mm. uh, it was very stressful. Um, It it, it hurt my psyche. Mm. Um, I didn't handle it all the time as well as I should have. You know, turned to some things that try to soothe the pain, which Mm. is not healthy. Uh, And, you know, actually needed therapy Mm. after after my career was over just because of the sting Mm. of those experiences. And so, you know, when you see athletes who, have, who are retired and they've gone through these type of things, they need help because you put all your eggs in one basket and somebody tells you they don't want you. That's a, a stinging uh, situation.
1: Yeah, I think it's sometimes we don't, particularly in the media, fans, we, we kind of look at these things like cartoon violence. You know like, like the road you know, like the road runner. Great You know, like the safe falls. Remember, the safe falls <laughs> on the uh, on the road runner. No, yeah. the safe falls on Wiley Coyote, yep. right? Yep. And the next thing, you but know, Bounce back, back up. Right. I think sometimes we, the athletes say, well, so-and-so got fired or whatever. Yep. And it's like, yeah, well, it's what's perfect. that? That's exactly how it is. Yeah. No question. Yeah, you, you don't really think that, man, these are like real people who have, who get feeling. Because like you said, it's like somebody said, well, no, you know, we don't, yeah, really, no, you can't play on you can't
2: play on his team anymore. That's right. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, Bill, when you're playing professionally, you have every bit of focus, energy and expending everything that you have in almost every moment. And so when you give that much to something or someone and they reject you, it's very, very it was difficult for me. And, uh, you know, but I wouldn't have it any other way because it's helped me help make me who I am today. So I'm very grateful for the experience. Yeah. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on sports.
1: Uh, so my guest is my guest is Steve Barto, uh, star of Stage and Screen. Uh, uh, University of Illinois to uh, the NBA. Now as a broadcaster, but what I was asking you, Steve, is that I'm looking at your your career and the overseas part was fascinating. Sure, you uh, you know France, Italy, Spain, Japan, and from the back, I'm like saying, "Wow, man, this is like such a glamorous." You know, you get to see all these these places. I mean, was it was it was it was it, was it easier than the
2: NBA? It was definitely not as easy uh, as the NBA because you have the social aspect of walking around and not understanding the language all the time. And so I picked up, my nonverbal communication skills are impeccable. <laughs> because when you, you have a wife and a son that are depending on you, and you, you feel like a protector overseas, gotta really pay attention. Uh, but my experiences over there, I grew up overseas. I, hmm. I, I really had to get outside my comfort zone. I would take those fedora books and try to get like right. rough French, rough Italian, rough Spanish, and you know and Japanese, and they appreciated seeing this big black man trying to speak their language. They 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 got a lot of respect for me for that, and uh, that's just one great lesson that I learned overseas. And then my wife at the time. Uh, got her master's degree from the University of Chicago Tokyo branch. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. And then my youngest son, or my oldest son, speaks four languages now because really? wow. he's lived in Italy, Spain, and went to school in Japan for two years. He could read, speak, and, and uh, write Japanese when he was in kindergarten. Wow. So
1: wow, that's great. Yeah,
2: those cultural experiences are so rich that I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. What are your sons doing now? My oldest is a hip hop artist and a, and a wonderful writer. Uh, he's got a recent uh, post in the Huffington Post that was excellent. That was a, a tribute to Fife Dog, and he was talking about how he got that from me because that's that was some of his earlier memories of me bumping the tribe in my car. And he's, one of his things that he said the most memorable things is ride with my dad, ask him to act like my older brother as opposed to my father. And he, said, he would say, yeah, but keep doing whatever he was doing. Uh. And all we'd do is bob our heads and <laughs> try. So, no, uh. but he's a very talented writer. My youngest son is going to be a movie director. He's at 17, uh, junior Whitney Young. Wow. He's already on his third course at Second City wow. outside of school because he, he knows what he wants to do. So I've got some phenomenal young men, and thank God their mama's smart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you're, you're, the, you're the mom of your civil friends? Yeah, stuff.
2: yeah. She remarried Ed Gordon. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I ain't saying she a gold digger.
1: (laughs) Wow. Hey, listen, we did not encourage that at all. (laughs) Stay out of that. He just just threw us in the middle of that. I know know Ed, and I like Ed. Oh, I love Ed. I'm
2: just saying. I I wasn't talking about
1: Ed. I was talking about her. Uh See, that could be another segment. Yeah. X, Y, and and how much we... Like Love them. Yeah, <laughs> right. love them. Right. No, I didn't like. It. Right. Yeah, well we'll just move on. Because At this point, <laughs> nothing you can say is right. No, that's true. You know, nothing you can say is that's right. That's true. So let's keep it on the upbeat. So but <clears throat> which was the more fascinating uh, of all the of all the cities that you played in overseas, which was the most uh fascinating which you still remember kind of lovingly?
2: Barcelona by far. No. Because the Moors ran Spain for eight hundred years. Yeah. And they have a totally different feeling for a black man as any other place in the world that I've been. Uh, and so I want to actually find property. And I told my kids at some point in the near future, y'all going to have to come to Barcelona to see me because I'd love to live over there. Uh, the feeling that you get, um, you know, when you, when you go overseas into Spain or to even Italy, you, there's a 50-pound there's a vest that you can take off. That we wear unconsciously here in the United States as black as black as people. black men, mm-hmm. black people. Mm-hmm. But when you go over to a place where Africans have uh, been viewed very positively, then there's not that instant animosity that you feel. At least that's what I got. Oh, absolutely. And that's Italy too. I felt that a little bit in Italy as well. There were uh, Florence, Milan, Torino, especially Northern Italy, um, was was fantastic to me.
1: I mean, you know that that that's that's interesting you mentioned that because. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my first trip overseas—well, not really—my first Olympics was in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and same feel, man. Just a wonderful feel. And I, in fact, I may have even written a column about it. It was almost like chickens coming home to roost because you had, you know, Barcelona and was had all these black folks yep. there first, more was running it than as slaves. Yep. So here we come in 19 what 92
2: all these black folks with the dream team coming
1: back. Yep. You're know, like haunting them. So, here we are. Look at us now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but I had the same feeling. But the, the, you also mentioned that thing about being able to be a little freer. Yeah. Because you, you had all these black musicians going to Paris. And I feel the same way abroad that you mentioned instant resentment that you may when you're here. And, you know, I don't think as black folks we really we don't get until we get out of the country exactly then you like Bill. you don't realize That's how right. much just the constant just bullshit that you that you feel about well is it because i'm black or is it because exactly. this? Or just, i mean it's every single hour of the day yep. is some kind of decision that you gotta gotta make even if you're in the hood which is a creation of this whole thing. So I I, I I hear what you say, But did you know that, did you sense that then when you were playing? I did.
2: did because it, one of the fa- most fascinating things that I witnessed in, uh, when I was at, and especially in France, was that when I went out in France or around the city, because I'd to i love to get out and venture wherever I was because right. I wanted to know how to get around. Right. I would run into black barbershops. Mm. I ran into black soul food places in the city of Paris. Wow. And so I would stop these guys and I was like, man, you know, how long have you been here? 30 years, yeah, right. 25 years. Where are you from? Yeah. Detroit. Yeah. yeah. Baltimore, yeah. Philly. And I was like, why'd you stay? He says, man, the way that we are treated over here, we're not going to get treated like that back home. It's, it was easy for us to open up businesses here. It was easier, it was easier for us to raise a family uh, here, in our opinion, without having to come back home and deal with some of the issues. That, that we face day to day and it was it, that was an eye opener for me just that was my first experience of the black diaspora right and how vast we are and we're everywhere and the different reasons why we find ourselves where we find ourselves
1: right 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 right. yeah um, I think I was mis- like you know, last August I spent like two weeks in Paris just, yeah. and again I became aware of it you know I guess as you get over I, I in fact there was a brother there and I'm embarrassed because I think of his name he's a tremendous a tremendous pianist. Okay. We'll have it cut out. But he, he's been there 20-something years. And and, and as even even the first time I went to Europe, I went there with this Billy Harper Quintet. I was a road manager.
4: Okay.
1: And so over here, Harper, I mean, if you're really into the music, people know Billy Harper. But that, man, we went over there, I think our first stop was Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And people like were coming out with albums, you know, with his albums. And each place, people knew who he was. They, yep. they respected the music. Where... Here, and again, it kind of gets back to this whole Final Four stuff of basketball. Mm. It's almost the reverse. That wherever we are the majority, and we dominate, Mm. it's devalued. Great point. It's it's devalued. I said this, too. People see us, things are devalued to the extent they're seen as predominantly black. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. By the outer thing. So it's possible, if you come here to the Final Four... You can see on the floor, you know, when you see Carolina playing uh, 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 Villanova. Yep. There'll be one white guy on the floor. I mean, on the star as a starter, the coach. Well, the coach. No, well, I'm well, just well no, well, 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 no, well. Uh, Ryan Archie. Ryan, yeah, <laughs> He's got. They got one Villanova has one.
2: Yep.
1: Roy Williams said, "Screw that. We're not taking any chance. Yeah. We have none. <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> <"Taking> <laughs> no <chance." laughs> I was even, well, I was looking at the Syracuse North Carolina game. Yep. A couple issues. There. Okay, yeah. A couple issues. There. But that, anyway, but listen, we'll, but my, my point though is that so you see all this talent, black talent on the court, mm-hmm. and we both see you've seen it in your business. As you move, the further you get from the court, the wider and wider and wider it gets to the extent that we ain't even really. You'll see a couple brothers, you know. Sure. But we're, it, it's so classic. I mean, it's like. How much of this stuff, you know, last night remember we were watching the Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. documentary, mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Burns' Jackie Robinson documentary. And I'm thinking as I'm watching this stuff, all the stuff this brother had to get through to integrate. Now here we are in 2016, we have some of the same conversations about Well, how yes. come we can't get any jobs beyond just the floor, just lifting that bail, yep. to, you know, tote that barge, lift that bail. Right. That's kind of what we do, but then
2: everything beyond that it's a, it's a scuffle what happens is I had a young brother come up to me and say you know why can't we get more black coaches we've got a ton of assistant coaches recruiters mm-hmm. quote- unquote but why can't we get any head coaching? And I said because we don't have enough black ads right we don't have enough black presidents so we've got to encourage young people who are interested in sports to go in the administrative exactly route. we need we need we need power brokers right. Gene right. Smith can't be our only power broke, the, o- the Ohio State Athletic Director. Right. He can't burden that. He can't take that burden by himself. Right. We've got Kevin Anderson at Maryland. He's done, right. doing a fascinating job. But those numbers are appalling.
1: Yeah, now we have Ward-Manuel. <laughs> Ward Ward-Manuel at Michigan. Okay, Michigan. But you're right. It's like we're talking about we could probably sit up here and we would scuffle come up with 10. Yeah. I guess if we really. Right. But, 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 again, we look at tonight or we look at this whole NCAA tournament. Right. You know with the power teams and it's nothing but brothers. I was at the football championship with Clemson and Alabama. Mm-hmm. Man, if you if you was focused on the field, you thought you were watching Grambling and Howard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. But then when you look around the press box and all that, so, I mean, I, I think that we can't be astounded by this. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, there was a, I think that, uh, remember we had Walter Beach on the show. Okay. And he quoted Neely Fuller and he said, if you don't understand white supremacy and racism and what it is and how it works everything you do understand will confuse you so instead of sitting and saying, well how come this how come no well we know why how do you how do you begin to deal with it? I think I don't know if if uh, it was you or somebody else talk about how do you use your podium because mm-hmm. you've been in broadcast you've been in broadcasting now when did you when did you, you when did you retire and then when did you Get into first, get into broadcast. My
2: last year at in Japan was 2000, and I I joined the radio university men's uh, basketball in Mm -hmm. 2000-2001. Went to become a sports reporter for CBS2 Chicago. Was an Emmy Award-winning sports reporter. All right, all right. Uh, Yeah, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Um, And then uh, did the first and second round of the NCAA tournament in 2015 or 2005, excuse me, when Illinois went to the finals. And that really catapulted me on the national scene because ESPN came in and offered me a three-year deal after that, and I was off and running.
1: Nice. Now, did you know while you were playing that you wanted to do this? Or was it something- I did.
2: I did. It. I tell a funny story about my father, and I, I, that's my hero. And uh, just retired as a, uh, you know administrator at Southern Illinois University, had a Hall of Fame career. And what he told me when I was uh, in high school, I wanted to be an electrical engineer until I took chemistry. And me and chemistry didn't get along. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. So I went to my dad. I was like, you know, dad, what do you think? Cause I I just, I don't think I can do this electrical engineering thing. He said, well, you like to run your mouth and you like sports. He walked out of the room. Now I got got my feelings hurt. But then when I got past the feelings, I sat there and thought about, I said, wait a minute, he's onto something. Cause I sat, me and my brother would sit, sit with him, watch boxing. We watch uh, golf because he loved the golf. we watch well we watch baseball because we all love baseball mm. football and we and I got all this training growing up, listening to Howard Cosell, yeah yeah, yeah. Jim Nance, yeah. all these guys and then you know, and so I picked it up in college, and I've been running with it ever since
1: wow, running the mouth
2: yeah running by <laughs> yeah.
1: well I mean this is, I mean and here's the thing. this is such an extraordinary business when you think about it. Here we are, and this is another reason why a lot of black folks aren't in this business in that we have so much fun. I mean, people are like, if you love sports, you're getting paid for basically watching the Final Four or going to Augusta watching golf. That's right. Watching the football game. Watching I mean, really, it's it's, it's the country club of the newsroom. It's the country club of this stuff. It's a billion-dollar business, which explains why I think it's so hard generally to get in, but particularly if you're talking about, you know, young black kids. Yep. It's so, it's so hard because, like you said, it's, it's connections. Yes. I'm like driving over here, you know, late, busting my butt to get here because I'm running late, you know. But I'm listening to um, uh, 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 Steve Lapis. and yes. I'm like, can I listen to?' He's uh, a good, good guy. He's mm-hmm. right? a good guy, you know. But I've known him since he was coaching Rod Strickland at Truman High School. Okay. Uh, you know when he was a high school coach. And in fact, I, we saw him. We kind of laughed yep. without saying anything about how far we've all come. Sure. But they had, uh, They it was him, another guy, and they. who's the guy from the, the player from uh, Stephen at Houston, Stephen F. Austin, oh, yeah. who uh, had the beard uh, and all Walker. that. Walk, Make Walker. Walker. So they had yep. him on the set, yep. you know, kind of introducing him to the thing. I guess I'm thinking, hey, well, I guess if you're a white guy, you you generally will kind of lean toward at the end of the day, no matter how many black guys you coached and all that, you still are.
0: Yeah, you'll are, gravitate towards, you know, someone who looks like who you, looks like you, you and
1: can you can relate to. Yeah. So, so they had this guy walk up and I'm like, that's fine. Nothing, nothing personal. And, but I'm like, well, you could have easily all these brothers here. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, all these brothers through the tournament, all the brothers who make your career,
4: yeah. uh-huh. you
1: know, you couldn't just choose one. And th- but the same thing you were talking about in terms of relationships and who you right. ultimately pull through the door, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the, the, the situation we saw Nathan Walkup and his team kind of capture attention again. And, yeah, he's got a look. Right. He's right. got a way of playing. He's tough. And the way that they handled West Virginia, right. West Virginia's aggressive, full-court pressure, kind of a renegade with Bob Huggins as the head, right? right. And then you got Stephen F. Austin, right. underdog. And then their best player happens to be Nathan Walker. And so they're going to, like you said, Jamal, it's tribalism. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. like their tribe, yeah, exactly. just like we like well, our tribe.
1: Yeah, yeah, except, you know, the first thing I thought was Tarzan. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole Tarzan thing, right? It's like Tarzan, king of the jungle. It's yeah. always this one white guy. It's some variation of the great white hope.
4: Mm-hmm. To sure. somehow,
1: and this, particularly in the context of the NFL. And the NBA, sure. Which is you got all these brothers here, yep. and, and and even in the music, I was a jazz critic. Okay, and, you know, and the same thing. I mean, you had all these great black groups, but for some reason, you got all these white critics, mm. and always looking for the white hope, yep. someone to validate and reinforce white supremacy. And it's really again, it gets back to what you were saying about going to Paris or going out this country, and then. Whew, just kind of, can I breathe, yeah. Can I just kind of be free? Let me, let me ask you this, man. Um, two things before, before we let you go. Uh, before we go. You okay. can stay, before we go. <laughs> but, no, no. but you mentioned something that was very important early on about therapy. Mm-hmm. And I've written a couple pieces. Uh, in fact, Ron our, Ron, our test dad was one of these things. Oh, wow. About, about mental health. Because so <laughs> many, so many, our community at number one, I know with me, if somebody says, well, therapy, well, we see it as like, well, I see it as a weakness.
2: Yeah. Like, taboo
1: almost. Yeah. Like, no, no, we, you know, where in reality, if any group of people in this country needed therapy, it's us.
2: On a whole scale level. Right. And when we right. talk about reparations, right. I don't see that happening because of the, the resistance to that concept, right. but give us mental health. Right. Right. Give us all an opportunity to go and talk about what's going on in our lives because right. one, we live shorter lives. Right. We pay more for everything. <laughs> right. We we are typically in areas that uh, environmentally are a little bit riskier. Yeah. So every step of the way, what we, we, what we eat, you know, I mean, goes right. all the way down the line. Right. I mean, so you know, we're talking about we're talking about five dog and we, we saw we saw Jackie Robinson yeah. and so he was diagnosed with diabetes early on. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, obviously didn't, I, I'm not I'm going I'm to say obviously, but I was looking for a, a lifestyle modification in terms of diet or something to offset that disease. And yet, he died at 53. Fife dog dies at 45. Mm. Ex- extremely talented people in our community. Yeah. But yet, we have these issues that we have to deal with. So I think therapy my buddy said it best he's like you know don't give us reparation give us <laughs> mental health right 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 right, right. And part
0: of, like you said right. part of dealing with all that you know discrimination and whether it's real it's it's real it's always yeah. real but even at you know those minutes it might not be that you still the fact that you think it might be that puts right. a toll on you too so it's yeah, exactly. going through all exactly. that stuff i mean that has to take years off your life yeah and,
1: and i guess my where i was going with that was that i think particularly in athletics People who could really use some is mass because you're yes, good, you yes. know, because you're so good that you just get passed along, yep. and that people really need some some serious treatment. I mean, our test talked about this that because he was just always oh, this great talent mm-hmm. that people ignored. And Shamique Walsklof yes talks about it yep. that that because you were so great. And then there's this stigma in our community about uh, uh, about it. So when you, you when you mentioned that that part of your you, you had to Come down off this this thing that you were, and you had to actually have therapy. And I yes. think that was a real. That, I mean, that's real. And you were fortunate in that you recognized it right. and said, "Hey, let me deal with this." You mm-hmm. know, because I need to, you know, talk about this. But I just don't. I just think, particularly among athletes, among our community in general, but particularly black athletes, that's they is probably not. There's probably a lot of undiagnosed stuff going on.
2: Tremendous amount of undiagnosed stuff going on because here's here's the thing. 72% of our households are led by women only. Now that's not a bad thing, but we know the impact of that for young men not having a father figure in the house. And so now, if you don't have that father figure, you're learning male traits, male characteristics through cats that are your peers. Or they're from, uh, you were looking at somebody from afar and you can't get that one-on-one connection that we all crave. That's why these guys, when they play college basketball, can float right into television because they've got Uncle John. Right. They've got cousin right. Larry right. that they can call that can walk them through these situations. Right. Hey man, I just broke over my girlfriend. I'm I'm not something's not right here. What can, you know, how can I do this? We don't have those resources yeah. at ready, And so you're talking about athletes who come from primarily single family backgrounds. They come from challenged neighborhoods. They may not have trained uh, adults who are dealing with them in high school so they get to college if they're one and done, that's just oh, a pit man. stop. Right. So you're not getting any real services there. So now you're 19 years old, you're at the NBA, you come out of Inglewood, Chicago, single family household, not a lot of service. And then when you mess up, you get out in the street in Philadelphia and you get a little tipsy, like J- Jalil Okafor, you get in an argument, and now they come down on you.
0: Or or worse, like uh, uh, Andre Blatch, you know, yes. you know get in a life-threatening situation because you you haven't been you know tutored properly properly
2: right and so you know all those things it it, it all it all comes down to really providing enough support and i've got a this is my mission until i die bill is that i want to get to young basketball players who are tabbed early Hmm. to educate them because if we took the career earnings of four basketball players from Chicago, Jawan Howard, Anthony Davis, Derek Rose and Dwayne Wade. And we asked them to put a 5% fund together. The pledge that was started by Bill uh, Gates and Warren Buffett, And they're having the world's billionaires yeah. give away most of their money. I wanna go to these young black, black players and say, guys, listen, I want you all to start a pledge. Give 5% of your income to a fund. Do you know those four players, if we took 5% of their career earnings, that's $40 million. Wow. What is $40 million invested into some businesses on the south and west side of Chicago? What does that do for the community?
4: Wow. That's
1: right.
2: That's huge. That's right. Is that, is, that something you're, is that a
1: tangible plan, something you're trying to do? Yeah,
2: that's, I'm going to do that. I don't know how it's going to look yet because I just started, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to do that because here's the thing. I'll give you Antoine Walker and I'll give you LeBron James. Here's the difference. I see Antoine Walker and he's got eight or 10 of his boys with him, but he's feeding them every time they need something. He's got to give it to them. LeBron is like at 16. He says, all right, fellas, I know I'm about to be the man. I need you to go get marketing skills. I need you to go be the lawyer. I need you to be the PR person. He's got all his boys together. Now he may have invested in them, but once he made that investment, they're self-sufficient. Antoine Walker's guys aren't self-sufficient. Thus Antoine Walker goes broke. Mm. He made generational money. Yeah, Because this right. thing is really about an economic race. Right. That's what right. we're in. Right, absolutely. We as black people don't understand that as a whole. Right. We're I, in an economic race. Right,
1: right. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I don't understand. I mean, honestly, you know, I had no idea, you know, well, what, what is money? How does it work? How do you grow? I mean, seriously, I, I mean, I would never slam anybody, because if I had an Achilles heel, it was that not understanding what money is, how it works, what is the psychological aspect of money? How it relates to your self-esteem? Do you think you deserve it? If you don't, how you just wait? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that yes. I think people in general, but our community in particular, because we probably, we make a lot of money as a community. Uh, whether whether 12th, you're- the
2: richest nation in the, in, the, in the world. Just black folks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we make
1: t- lots of money. Yes. You know, uh, we just, I, we, whatever, have no concept of it and, and how to do work together. I think your idea is tremendous. I would even extend it to even athletes, but anybody, whatever you do, if this will work, invest whatever. If like remember, that's what Obama did with the election. He said you could just send me twenty, send me five dollars. Yeah, send me five dollars. It doesn't have to be, uh, but just send me five. Now, if you could send me two million, send me two million. Right. But if you could just send five, send five. Right. You know, so, I mean, that's, it's a great, it's a great concept.
2: Co- collective economics is right. something that we as a people don't do. Right. Uh, because we, we don't really trust each other. But right. the, the word currency means to move. It's a current. Right. So your money's got to move and it's got to work for you. And that's what uh, I, I think a lot of times we will look at our counterparts, our, our Latino brothers and sisters or our Asian brothers and sisters. And, and it just appears seamless, like they're able to right. come into these situations. Right. We're re- we recreate the wheel every time we do something new. We're like individual silos instead of being collective right. with, with our efforts. I
1: wonder why, you know, I mean, this is another show. But why that is, because uh, I think that, see, I, I think you cannot lose sight of the fact that there's this collective brainwashing that's been going on for 400 years. In other words, this is, you know, this is, we, we're not playing unopposed. No. Really? Now, there's a, we have a tremendously powerful opponent who sees us essentially as an eternal security threat. Mm-hmm. A, com- a, a collective, trusting black community is a tremendous opponent.
0: Right, from the very start. I mean, right. you, you know, you're not allowed to read, you're not allowed to go to school. Right. That's not that long ago.
1: Right, 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 <laughs> How many? three of y'all together, you know, suspicious. So, so I mean, really, I mean, I, you know, how many times have you been like in a newsroom or something before, before black just talking? Some white people come by and make some kind of remark. Yeah. You know, humorous. Or yeah. What's this? Say exactly. I, you know what I mean? Exactly. Something like, and I think that particularly now as more and more of our kids are going to these white schools, because that's what we did. You know, we, I mean, Jamal and I went to HBCUs. But I think that you get older. Okay, well, my kids don't go to this elite so-and-so. You know, the, the elite all-white colleges.
2: Starting to turn, though.
1: And you think, you think it's
2: coming back? Oh, yeah. One of my best friends went to Hampton. Hmm. And he's so intact with who he is. Right. Because that's at right. one point in his life he could be somewhere where he didn't ha- he didn't get questioned. That's right. And the teacher expected you to do well. Right, right. It wasn't like they expected you to fail. They, right. they, they you gonna do this. That's right. And you don't have a choice. That's right. Because I believe in you. Right. right. And you get four years of that. That's right. And so we go to these major universities and we get more confused than anything.
1: Well, you know, that's funny you mentioned it because I you know, I, I go and talk a lot and a lot of time I talk you know, go to these white schools and, yeah. and talk. And so it was just last month. So I tell kids, because invariably comes a point where you have some uh, y- young black students will be there. And there's this frustration about this. And I said, well, listen, I went to, you know, Morgan. Now, we may have some issues with black colleges, but one of them ain't who we are as That's black right. people. That ain't, That's right. We may have some other issues, yeah. but that ain't one of them. Yeah. You know, and, so I, and, and I think that you're right, because particularly now, I mean, I worked at the Afro-American, out of Morgan, I worked at the Afro-American newspaper. Then I went to uh, 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 Ebony. Yep. Then I made the transition going to the Baltimore Sun. Mm-hmm. I remember Mr. Johnson told me when he was trying to talk me into staying at Ebony, and I couldn't see it, he said, he said something like, said, well, he said, uh, now, when you, go, you know, when, it, when, when you go to these places, this is the last time you're going to be the Golden Boy. You know, this is the last mm. place you're going to be the Golden Boy. When you go to this white school, when there's a big assignment, they're going to give it to the white boy. And, when, and although I've had a great career, he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right that when you go to these they they already got their stuff hooked up. Sure. They don't need any more white hero. You may be maybe be a token, but it's kind of like a, a foster child mm-hmm. not, and you're all you know that you're either adopted or a foster kid <laughs> or something like that. They may treat you to the best, but you know yeah, right. that that, you know, and and, and 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 getting back to where we are here, the final four, that's exactly what it is. Y'all play. We'll do the rest.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Now,
1: uh, no. Uh, one last thing. Oh, we, I didn't want to – that kind of leads into Kenny uh, – uh, um, not Kenny Battle, but uh, 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 Nick, 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 or, Anderson. Nick Anderson who wants to be a coach. Sure. How should, why should he have problems being a coach?
2: Well, one, he's got to go back and get his degree. That's a big problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, Nick, that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> got to go back and get his gotta degree. Get degree. Yeah, and so, I, you know, that's something that we, we've been talking to him about, and I think there's, a, there's an intimidation factor – of being, you know, athletes that make it to the professional level think that your, your talent is supposed to automatically transition into something else without any work.
4: Right.
2: <laughs> and it doesn't work like that. Right, right, and right. so you got to humble yourself. And hopefully he can humble himself because Nick has a tremendous amount to offer young people. But hopefully he'll get to that point. But he's still doing well with Orlando.
1: Yeah, but, it, but, it, but again, that that's yet another irony. Yes. you got all these brothers who play at all these universities, you know, Leaving, one and done, this and that, and the money—you know, money is comes and goes. That's right. Then at the end, ten years, twelve years, you know, I like to go back to Kentucky to be a coach. Mm-hmm. Well, son, I know your, your name, your uniform is hanging up in the rafters, but one thing ain't hanging up is your degree.
0: Right, and yeah, we may have pushed you out and told you you're ready to go, but turns out now you need, need that degree.
1: That's right. That's you right. need that degree. But you, which, which, which he knew it. He, the coach knew it ten years ago. Yes. You know. Yes. So no. So it's 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 really these series of successions of trick bags. But I guess that's the reason why that's our job supposedly is to right. kind of say, listen, that's what uh uh so his son is playing tonight, uh, the point guard. Uh, Brunson. Brunson's um, yeah. dad was saying that he was. It was just so, so interesting because you know Brunson's whole thing, he he bounced around. Sure. But he said, I worked hard on everybody. But he said, but I didn't do it when I was in college. That's why I've been on. I've been on my son to work his ass off. because when I was at Temple, I didn't really work that hard. I worked just hard enough. Yeah. I just worked just hard enough. Yep. But then when I got into the next level, that's probably why I was a journeyman because sure. I wasn't working hard
2: in, in college. college. Interesting.
1: And I, and I thought that was interesting because, you know, because of his story because like all you guys who have these 10-year careers, no matter what level of, of pro ball, yep. to get somebody to pay you
0: to
2: play yeah, for, for 10 years is a lot. That, you're right. You're right. right? And I, mean, I don't care where it is. No, you're right. And I think that that's a great example of uh, Jalen having the benefit of a father. Yes, yes. My dad was around. He played college basketball at SIU. He was educated. He understood. And he, he, what he told Lou Henson and his staff when they came to recruit me, he said, listen, I know my son wants to play for you guys. He said, our number one goal is for him to, deg- to get a degree. Because my dad knew. That if I get a degree, then I can tap into that network that the University of Illinois Alumni Association is. That's right. And I tell kids, I tell, the day you graduate, you sign up for that Alumni Association. I don't care what school it is, because now they'll pick your phone call up. You're an alum. You're part of the Alumni Association. It's $25 to join. But it busts through everything. The guy that got me into CBS Chicago... The guy that got me to ESPN gave Oprah Winfrey and Diane Burns their start. Wow. Dennis Swanson.
1: Oh, wow, really? Oh, wow, that's a big name.
2: You know Dennis, right? Yeah. Now, did you know Dennis was a basketball manager at the University of Illinois in the late 50s? A manager? A manager. Really? Yes. Watched my career the whole time, offered me a job as an executive. I was going to be on an executive route at ABC because he thought I would have been better than that in that regard than I was on the air mm. but he gave me these opportunities because wow. he was an alum wow. but see my dad showed me that yeah. I'm on a radio interview with Dick Vitale my dad said write ESPN a letter thanking them for the opportunity to be on a radio show and that you're a broadcast journalism major that's how I got a hold of Dennis Swanson wow, wow. and that, that's you said a
1: lot in that short amount number one we talk about this too like Dennis Swanson was a basketball manager yes and we are looking at the number of people who are like the the managers the video game and then they the end up guy. Yeah, yes. they end up being hair coaches that's right <laughs> or or executives executives you right. know right. so and again i think that what i have to tell you my wife friends i don't know anybody, but white so you know you guys know that this is not to say that i don't think you should be here you know as i think sometimes white people take it that a black man's advance is at my expense. No, I'm, exactly. not, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's room enough for everybody. For everybody. You right. know, th- that's all I'm saying. I think you have to keep telling people. No, I'm not saying when I say I want more black people here, the first thing is, well, who's here that should be here? I said, no, I'm not saying that. And, right. and as long as you take it like that, there's always right, going to be a problem. Yeah. But no, there's, mm-hmm. there's room enough for everybody. You know, there's room enough for everybody.
2: Well, uh, we, you know, Bill, we came from Africa and that was a plentiful place, it was abundant. Right, that's the richest real estate in the world. Still, and so we that we come from an abundance mentality. Right, believe it or not. Right, and I can't say that for every other group because I don't think we deal with people who have an abundant mentality. Because if we did, things could be a lot different.
1: You no, know, yeah, that's actually that that's actually a hell of a point. It, 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 now, something over in the middle pasture, I guess when you get here, you go from this abundance thing, this abundance mentality, to survival mode. Sure, you where have you're to. Pitted where you're pitted against each other, and I, I, I just don't think that we, we beat ourselves up a lot mm-hmm. about this stuff, like unity and togetherness and all that. I said, well, we're not unopposed. I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason for this stuff. But, but again, just like we had the meetings last night, you have to, you have to kind of. At the end of the day, I think we really enjoy being around each other. No doubt about it. And, and given a. All things yeah. being equal, yeah. I think we'd enjoy it. But it's just all these other I mean, How many? Well, look, I know we have to wrap up, But how many times have you been overseas? and You run into like another brother, or sister, and, and, like, wow. and, and,
2: and, <laughs> and like it's long lost family member right. or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. yeah, that's exactly and right. And
1: right. That was when I was writing $40 Dollar Slaves." There was one at the, uh, the plantation. I was really digging on the plantation. They had these corn shucking festivals, and they had these big corn shucking fest you know festivals that one plantation got would host, and all these people would come and they'd have a corn shucking contest. And the, and the white man thought that the reason all these black folks came because they wanted to shuck corn. I said no, they they have been not, had not seen maybe a brother or a law. They wanted to come to connect.
4: Yes. And if the yes.
1: vehicle was corn shucking, then fuck it, we'll corn shuck. <laughs> but right, but, right. but it wasn't that, and I think people empower. Get things twisted. Sure. Oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, as my guest, <laughs> uh, I guess it's been the great Steve Bartle. Uh We could really go on for, for a long time because this, this stuff just keeps going, man. Sure. I mean, it doesn't end. No, you without know? no a it, it doesn't no. end. Hey, listen, man, thank you so much, no, Steve. My pleasure. No, this man. is, no, this is a, really, a, this no, is It's really an honor,
2: man. Listen, let me say before we get off you're a strong example of what black men should be, and we would love you from our community. And it's, a, it's been an honor to be with you. Oh, uh, man, thank
1: you very much. You know, so they're interesting, when, you know, you've been married before, too. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know why I think like this, but, you know, the most humbling person is, like, your wife. Because mm-hmm. you could be out and do all this and, yeah, Mr. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> then you go, take out the garbage, Yeah, take out the garbage, <laughs> I was listening to this thing before I let you go. So I was listening to this uh yeah, all be a jazz guy, right? right. West Montgomery, you know? yeah. So I'm listening to this NPR interview with him about <laughs> West Montgomery, and, blah, blah, blah. and so they interviewed his wife, and she, yeah, well, I don't know, yeah, y'all just West, you playing too loud? Why are not you you playing all that music all day long? Like, you know, I'm right. like hearing the talk, and I'm thinking that here's Wes West Montgomery,
2: yeah, the great West, the West
1: Montgomery, Montgomery, and his wife, Wes, when are you gonna start? You you playing too loud? You know? Right. Right. <laughs> but I guess, I guess just like I'm sure we we talk about. This. Remember we were. We watched Rachel Robinson you know, mm-hmm. and the, the sister said Rachel was his source of strength. Yeah, I bet there was some days. Oh yeah, no, oh, there was some days. But that was part of it. That's yeah. part of
0: it, you no know? doubt. You need you need to be humble.
1: Oh yeah, she com- comes home. You ain't Jackie Robinson here. <laughs> 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 hey, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> thank thank you. Uh, thank you so much, yeah, man. No, this, man is this was great. No, this this was, is, great. This was really tremendous. Jamal, of course. Yeah, thank and, you, and, Jamal. Appreciate uh, it coming up, coming up. We <laughs> speaking That's of this, we we had a. We had uh, uh, yeah uh, Charles Barkley in in, in studio and uh, his studio and uh, which is anywhere which is any yeah his studio is anywhere and okay. you talk about so just stay tuned because that's a, we continue to keep getting off the chain okay all right uh, next on Bill Roden on Sports see you guys in a little while peace.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
1: Taking you
0: inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports.
3: i like to see him stay in college for two years. Yeah.
1: You, 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 get hurt. I mean, you, know, you get hurt I
3: totally agree with you but it's been so uh, they, 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 people always use that argument but it's been a long time since anybody get hurt. got hurt I want to say one thing too I think that uh, we need to call out Mark Emirates of the NCAA uh, seems like a nice guy might be good at his job but he's got to do his job better I have a serious problem with him letting schools uh, pick their own punishment. You can't let a guy rob a bank, then dictate how much time he gets. So I want to make that clear today. I know they don't want to hear that here, but Dr. Emmer's gotta do a better job. Uh, if he's gonna be the policeman, and overseer of college basketball, he's gotta do his job better. We can't let crooks dictate their punishment. But there's a couple of people I like to kill, and they say, hey, give me a year in jail. I'm good. What,
4: just out of curiosity, there's a lot of examples. Of their lawyers, no, there's a know? lot you of examples. That's the point. That's so a lot of examples.
3: No, no, they all wrong. You can't let crooks dictate their penalties, man. Come on, That's just fundamentally wrong. Oh, no, I mean, and I, I think, but nobody, everybody's afraid to say it, but I'm not afraid to say it. And I say, I like the guy, I don't know him that well. But his job, if he's going to make all this money for these people, which that is the way it is, I said two things. He needs to make sure these young kids get their education first and foremost. First and foremost. Especially the young black kids, they need to get their education. But the second thing is, you, if, you can't have selective prosecution. Well, I would have to look at the case, but I'm saying you can't say, "Well, my team sucked. Well, I'm gonna sit out the tournament this year, and then when I'm loaded the next year, make the tournament." Come on, man. You can't. You can't do that. That's just. That's just fundamentally wrong, Bill. I mean, come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my team's not very good, and when I'm not gonna win it, I'm gonna sit out this year. That's just. You can't. You can't have the crooks dictating their their, their sentences.
1: Everybody went through this system. Anybody who ever played on an athletic scholarship, particularly at your level or football level, everybody went through it. Everybody's kind of a beneficiary of hypocrisy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but, everybody went through I
3: totally understand that, but you have to still say something about it. Right. I don't have to talk about The one thing I always talk when I meet with the NCAA, what are your graduation levels? Thank you. What are your graduations levels? I mean, Bill, there's always going to be a hypocrisy, and, a, and the guy who runs things always going to make more money. I'm pretty sure the guy at the ESPN make more money than the people on, who own their talent on television. That's just the way this things work. But we, if I see something that's not right, I'm going to say it. And I can tell you, my number one thing is these young kids, especially black kids, getting their degree. That's first and foremost. And secondly, Mark Emmert's got to do his job better. Yes,
1: Let this. Since we're going down that road, one thing I've seen? It seems like been more and more young white coaches getting these jobs. And if you look at this tournament, you see so many young black kids playing. But if you look at the people getting the jobs, a lot of the young black coaches are complaining that they're not getting head coaches jobs. That's, that, to me, is almost a big one.
3: Well, Bill, we've always had a problem with uh, not having enough minority coaches. Uh, I think the biggest problem is in football, to be honest with you. Uh-huh. Uh, bigot. And that's something, number one, I don't mind you asking me that question, I'm gonna give you an answer. We've always had an issue with not enough black coaches. And I think there's two reasons. Number one, racism. Uh, Number two, the face of your university. What's happening now is, man, those guys are so much money makers. Some schools wanna put that figure out there. But I say, and and sometimes it is race. But sometimes it's just like, man, this thing, The problem we got now, Bill, this thing is out the bag. It's so big now, like ain't nothing you can do. Like, you can graduate all your players. If you don't win, your ass gonna get fired. I mean, this is, this thing is so out of control, and there's nothing anybody can do, it's so big now. Like, you know, I look, I study all the stats about everything. You can graduate all your players, and if you don't win, you're going to get fired. I mean, and that's just the way it is. And is that right? No, that ain't right. But that's just how it is.
1: The thing is you know, you would think that you and hire more young. you got so many black kids playing. you think that if you, have, if you have more young black coaches, they have a connection. You know, it seems like it would be logical.
3: It, it, it's, it's, that's one of those answers there's no right or wrong answer to, Bill. We need more black coaches, plain and simple.
1: We, we're not doing a great job. Either. If we need them. We're not the most diverse group.
3: Well, Bill, it's always been like that. And one of the things you, like, one of the things that I've always talked to TNT about, I want more Hispanics, more women, uh, more black men. Like, but if, Bill, no matter how rich you are, and I don't mean this in a negative way, as rich as I am, I, I, I'm, I'm always going to be the only black guy in the room when I go to business meetings. I mean, it's not just sports, it's in business world. Like every time I shoot a commercial, I go to dinner with the group, the, the the CEOs and the CFOs. I'm gonna be the only black guy in the room. So and so, but I tell them one of the reasons I got involved with Capital One. Uh, Capital One did something I've never had done before, in my thirty some years being in the limelight. They had me and Spike Lee sit down with 500 employees and we streamed over the internet in Washington D.C. Then we went to their home office in Richmond, Virginia with 500 more employees and streamed that over the internet. Talked about diversity because one of the things when I work with companies, I work with two companies right now. Capital One, I tell them uh, Hispanics, women, and black men, y'all got to make sure y'all give them loans, economic opportunity. Same thing with uh, CDW. How can we get more computers into the inner cities i got enough money now not bragging about money y'all when i meet with a company i'm only going to do two commercials a year if they don't do what i want them to do i'm not going to work with them because i i i got the power now and capital one's been great and the cdw been great
0: what's your what was your your best moment ncaa wise in college
3: just getting my team to the tournament because uh, we had never been uh, man, it was like when I first got to Auburn, I remember crying after the first game we lost and they're like, why are you crying? I'm like, we lost and they're like, you, how many times do you lose in high school? I said, it's like four. And I said, we cried after every game. He like, dude, we're used to losing around here. And I remember that vividly. And I said, I got to my room that night, I said, this is going to change. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. So my first year we were like 500. My next year we were like almost made to NIT. And my third year we made it to the tournament. That was really one of the great accomplishments that I feel like that I've had. Because, man, because Auburn had never been to the NCAA tournament. And uh, it was a big deal for me to get us there.
0: T- taking out all the, the off-the-court college basketball stuff, what do you like about the game on the court? What don't you like about the game?
3: I love the game, man. Basketball is a big deal. I mean, basketball's is giving me, think about it. I'm a little kid from Leeds, Alabama. If I went for basketball, you know, I'm going tell them where i would be.
0: But in terms of the college game compared to the NBA no, no, game?
3: No, 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 But I'm telling the college gave me that opportunity. Get to, college gives you two opportunities. Well, not really. Uh, gives you an opportunity to change your life. See, and that's one of the things that bothers me about these young black kids. Listen, man, to get a free education is a big deal. You can change your entire life. Like, listen, I would love for all these kids to go to the NBA. Less than 1% of any college sports are going to go play pro ball. But the chance to change the dynamics of your life, you know, cause I, First of all, I never expected I was going to make it to the NBA, but I said to myself, I'm going to get a job. That's what I actually said. I said, I'm going to get a good job. And then I grew from 5'10 to 6'5 in one year. But my original game plan was just to get a job, to get out of the damn hood. You know, because nobody else in my family went to college. I know I didn't want to do what they were doing, uh, but I loved it. It gives you an opportunity to be successful doing something silly. Dude, sports, I've always said this, and I'm not just saying this now. Can you, it's not even a real job. I mean, there's people out here got real jobs. Where they have to like work like a dog for, for, you know, like you got a chance to not do that. I mean, there's people out here, I see you see it all the time. You see people at McDonald's, you see people out here on the uh, construction workers, uh, when I was driving over today, like nothing wrong with that, but I don't want to do it. Can hey, you imagine doing that shit in the middle of the summer? It'd be like 197 degrees here. <laughs> you can you go to college? You can go in an office. I mean, that's that's the beauty of sports. I mean, it's the beauty of sports.
1: Wait, sure. I've sure. had a complete change in mind. I used to tell I run the sports and recreation program at my church in, in Harlem, right? Uh huh. Same thing. I bring in friends, my scouts. on we tell them the same thing. You know what? Of all you kids, who wants to be pro athletes before everybody raise their hands? That's Well, you know, only one in 20 million people. Then I thought about it. Yeah. I thought, well, wait a minute. Somebody, when I was 15, somebody said, well, who wants to work at the New York Times? <laughs> I would raise my hand. Man, get the hell out of here. There ain't no blacks in there. But I've been there for 36 years. Yeah. So my point is, somebody's got to be the one person, right? Somebody's got yes, to be that one person. How come you can't be the one person?
3: You can But... Let's say let's take five hundred. You mean to, to, to do one to play basketball in the New York Times?
1: Either one. I mean, both. If you're black, it'd be ridiculous. Okay,
3: awesome. okay. So, and I tell kids, I wish that you can be that one, but let's just get your education, just in case you want those other four hundred and ninety-nine. Like I do, I tell kids, dude, playing sports is like the greatest job in the world. But I've seen so many guys in my thirty years. And, you know, there's only 50 or 60 jobs a year. I mean, people, uh, when I go speak to kids, they'll say to me, well, how many players in the NBA? 2,000, 3,000? I said, no, just 400. Like 400. They're like, 400? I said, yeah, and some of those positions are taken. Like, uh, without Steph Curry, so now we're down to 399. LeBron's got one. So those guys going to be there. And this is the numbers we're dealing with. So that's why I'm saying, dude, get your education. And to get it free, to get it free, man, I talk to people all the time. they in so much debt. Because the problem with borrowing all that money, unless you get a great, great job, you're asking debt for a long time. And we can sit here and argue over the system. And like I say, I do believe we should give these kids more. But, like, somebody got to find me a way to do it. Uh, and that's that's my that's the dilemma I got cuz you know, like we're going to have that same like I said earlier. Hey. Okay, boss. Later, right? oh, for sure. Cuz like cuz what's going to happen is we're going to have that same situations going on with that women's soccer team. If we start just trying to pay certain sports. and now we're going to eat up all the money um, eat up all the money in lawsuits. You know, I mean, because the swimming team want to get paid, too. They work just as hard as the basketball team and the football team and the diving team. So it, 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 everybody want to, like, well, we got to help these guys. Like, it's not as simple as y'all making it out to be.
0: Taking advantage of what you're getting.
3: Man, please take advantage of what you're getting. If somebody, like I say, I've been blessed. And i tell you something. One of my biggest regrets of my life is seeing how some of my former teammates' life turned out because we did not stress education enough. Because you can go back and find and see how their lives turned out, the ones who didn't get their education. Uh, I think it corrupts the kids. I think it don't teach them how to lose, and I think they don't know how to compete. I don't want to play with the best players. I want to compete against them. That's how you measure yourself. I don't want to get a bunch of stars together and just go beat up on a bunch of weaklings. That's not where basketball is. I want to compete. Like, I want to compete against Karl Malone and Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Mary Johnson. That's what sports are. They're competition. We don't want to play together. These guys want to play together.
1: Because I do work with kids a lot. And I think that I used to always, and I see what you're saying about, we all tell the kids about about, you know, only one only percent and all that. But the point is, how, if, if a kid, let's say, stayed, I said, "Charles, I, I know what you say about the statistics, but how do I get to be that one in a million? How do I get?" No, I, we 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 agree on the education. Hey, we agree, right? We agree. How do you get to be that one? How do you get to be the one yeah, in a million, right?
3: It's the luck of the draw. Okay, so there's
1: nothing you did. You
3: worked, no, you worked you hard. You, you worked hard, right? But those other guys work hard too. And you and you have to have an extreme amount of talent, and you have to get some breaks too. But there's nothing you can do to say. I'm gonna make it in a pro sport. Like, it doesn't work like that. I mean, cause this guy, cause that's like, I played against guys that were 9 couldn't play a lick, you know? And then you see a guy like Spud and Muggsy, like it's just such a, un, an out of exact size. It's crazy, Bill.
1: I mean, Things like showing up every, day? I mean, in other words, it's, some of it is luck, right? But what, what, what are some consistent things that, that you, you showed up, well, right, you, you, know, you worked hard?
3: You have to always show up and you have to work hard because the, the, the deal is, it's so funny you said it because I had this conversation on the way over here. Because uh, you just don't know. Uh, I was having a conversation with a lawyer. She's trying to, she wanted me to talk to her son. As a matter of fact, you said that. He said, Mom, you're over, he says, Mom, like he's just being a pain in the ass. Like, Mom, you're an overachiever. I says, Dude, what the hell does that mean? We don't know what we can achieve. Until we push ourselves. Listen, as smart as you are, I guarantee you, as a young kid, like you wanted to go in the newspaper business, but in the back of your mind, I'm not sure you said, "I want to be at the New York Post." I mean, Time, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I'm saying, you, all you have to do is keep pushing yourself. You have to keep pushing. That's why I tell people. When I, they said, "Did you set goals?" I said kind of set goals because what happens if you reach a goal you don't stop you keep going you just have to keep pushing I'll give you an example coming out of high school I was the number six ranked player in Alabama <coughs> none of those other guys made it in the NBA so like it's just not even exact science
1: you say, wait I went to school Chicago Illinois Southside Chicago public school that kind of stuff and there are other guys man you know who we smarter, you know, but the point is somebody says, well, and you're right. Somebody says, well, how in 50 years, what are you going to be at the New York or whatever? No, I had no clue. No. But, but, but I guess my thing, the reason I was asking a question, what can you tell young people to, to reverse? We all know that only 1% of people make it. But the key thing is, how do you, how can you be that 1%? Is there, are there some general rules of thumb? of how to get to be that 1%. Like, don't get arrested. Yes. Don't, don't make it easy for the police to put you in. Uh, you know,
3: when you're a young black kid, I tell them this. You know there's a double standard. I ain't going to do anything to, mess, to give them help. Cl- uh, Clarence Thomas told me this one time. It was a great saying. He says, he called me one time I had messed up. He says, why do you keep giving them the hammer to hit you with? And I was like, Justice Thomas, what do you mean? He says, you understand the rules. You keep giving them the hammer to hit you with. So that's, that's advice that I tell these young kids. Like, okay, don't give them the hammer to keep hitting you with. And that's what a lot of these young kids do. I ain't gonna do anything to fuck it up. Like, I know I got to work hard. I know I got to take care of my business. I got to, and, and I'm going this way. I'm going forward in a very narrow thing. Like. I'm not going over here partying every night. I ain't gonna have no illegitimate kids. I ain't gonna break the law. That's that's the shit that can get me off the tracks. And that's what I talk about all the time. I mean, because let me tell you something. It's really, you know, people always wanna make it about black and white. Really what it's about is economics. America is the greatest place in the world. But what has happened, it's become rich people screwing poor people. We have put all the poor people in the bad neighborhoods, sent them to the shitty schools, and say good luck. That's what we've done. Because all the rich people moved to the suburbs, built charter schools and private schools. This country, the greatest country in the world, got the worst public school system in the world. In the world. I think I saw a stat, we're like 29th. I didn't even realize there were 29 places. <laughs> What, nobody goes around saying we're number 29. So now, you're, you're still a Republican, I take it. I've never been a Republican. Why do you keep saying that? I, wait,
1: I said it once.
3: No. <laughs> I said it <laughs> once. First of all. So I said, you? I only said
1: it for the record. I only said it okay. today. So what's really interesting, where did I get
3: that from? A GQ article in 1988. This guy comes down to interview my family. First of all, so fun! I'm, I'm doing a story that I might call you about too. I was
1: doing it a long time Trump. cause you know that's why I was
3: called. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, okay. So in 1988, <laughs> this guy's doing this in-depth article on me on uh, GQ. He comes interviewing my mother and grandmother. We're sitting around at the end of the day. We I spent like three days with him, and I'm sitting around and my mom and grandma. He says, "Are y'all Republicans or Democrats?" And my mom says, um, "Oh, we're Democrats." Uh, Republicans are only for rich people. And I said, we're rich. And 30 years later, everybody (laughs) thinks I have never, which is another question too, Bill. I'm working on this new show. Why are 99% of black people in the world Democrats? Well, to
1: the extent it's 99%. It's... Because you know, originally black people were Republicans because it was the land of uh, uh, of
3: Abe Lincoln. Lincoln, right? But right. When John F. Kennedy released Dr. King to get the black vote, we've all been Democrats since then.
1: But I actually started with FDR. That's when it should start. FDR.
3: But let me ask you a question. So, well, answer that question for me, though. Yeah.
1: Because I mean, generally, since we just talked generally, because the Republican Party generally, you look at the demographics of the Republican Party, they don't like immigration, uh, they they are against poor people generally. Now, if if Trump is your guy post, they hate women and women's rights. I mean, it's not it's not a huge it's not a.
3: I'm working on a show about
1: that. Whoa whoa whoa! whoa. Do I get paid? Am I, go, am I going to be
3: on the... I, be on the uh, I just want to speak to Because th- that's a fascinating thing to me.
1: But do you be-
3: think it's 99%? It's pretty much been... I voted Democrat my entire life. See,
1: that's the first takeaway, man, that, that you're a Democrat. But
3: my question is, why? Well, why
1: did th- I mean, I, th- I, think, I think it's because the
3: Republican Party, repeat, beginning with... Well, well, Bar- I, uh, beginning my with- question, <laughs> my show is, I'm going to examine what exactly the Democrats have actually did for black people.
1: Well, in that
3: case, it's a deep question, right. though. Yeah, it
1: is. Well, in that case,
3: in that case, no, you're absolutely right. You're that's, absolutely that's, right. That's the, I'm working on this TV show, and that's the goal. It's gonna be. I'm mean, like every black person I've known. Let me rephrase that My entire life has voted Democrat. and I'm saying like, why? And then so I'm gonna sit down with some Democrats, ask some Republicans, says, "What exactly have y'all did for us?" And I'm telling me, "Why exactly have y'all not did stuff?" Because like I say. I'm tired of all the noise. I want to get some legitimate answers.
1: Specific answers? Yes. You know, you know it's interesting. So, I'm doing this interview at the Schomburg in Harlem with Ken Burns. He's just done this tremendous two-hour documentary on Jackie Robinson. Really? Fucking remarkable. So I, brought a, I brought a copy down here come I'm going to show it to some black writers. Okay. But Jackie Robinson was a Republican. He, he did not support he did not support Kennedy because he thought, like you would think, he said, what have you done for black people? And Kennedy was very conservative. He voted, I mean, he, he supported uh, Richard Nixon.
3: I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do this TV thing I'm doing. Yeah. What's the name of it? It's called The Race Card. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's great. What is it going That's great. Well, I'm negotiating. I got five companies trying to get it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a provocative question
4: oh, each.
3: each episode and gonna meet with people on both sides and then bring a couple of people like, like yourself. I got President Clinton, I got President Obama, cause they were in my book. Yeah. And I'm gonna let them finish it up and like, that's it, it, yeah. That's great,
1: that's great, but not about centering around racism.
3: Dif- different stuff, the next is gonna be about illegal immigration. Okay. Like, cause I think that Hispanics get a bad rap in this country. Because Hispanics do the work that whites and blacks don't want to do. And they blame Hispanics for shit that they don't deserve the blame for. I think they're amazing people. But I think certain political parties use immigration as a a weapon. Because I don't see any difference between illegal immigration and shipping all our fucking jobs overseas.
1: It's it's,
3: it's hypocritical. I know. But that's what I'm going to do. That's a great show. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm excited about it. No, that's, that's a great show. Thank you. And I'm gonna just like, I'm going to do probably like one a month and just like, because, you know, there's so much noise on television. I because I don't even know who the hell telling the truth half the time.
1: Well, okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, right. We will admit this is the worst fucking presidential election ever, right? I
1: mean, I, I, what do you think of Trump? Have you ever talked? Have you met him? You I met him
3: about? five or six times. He's always been cordial, but not in the last couple of years.
1: Oh, you ever seen him? Like, as, he's, he no, no, no,
3: league, no, no. no.
1: Well, that wraps up another episode of Bill Roden on Sports. We'd like to thank the great Charles Barkley, the great Stephen Bardo for joining us, and we will see you, you know, next week. Right, yeah, We'll All see. Sometime, sometime really soon. Yeah, sometime soon. You never know. All right, take care. Bye.